right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, it's good to see you in the house. Want to welcome all of our Faith Church family. Thank you, man, so much for being here this weekend. Want to welcome all of our VIPs. If this is your first time here, we want you to know it is our privilege to have you at Faith Church, and we hope for everybody that God will do something really incredible in your life. Let's welcome everybody watching online. Let's give it up for our Lawrenceburg family especially. Man, it's good to have you guys tuning in. Well, I have a confession to make. Some of you who know me well knew last night that, uh, that my post, if you've seen it, yes, I just wanted to see if uh, your love for your pastor was thicker than your love for Alabama football, and you all came through. Uh, is, is Blake Stutz here? Is, he was here in another service. I'm Blake Stutz came through in like 15 seconds. Pastor, where are you at? And then I felt bad. So I posted, I had a flat tire. I just want to see if anybody would come rescue me. And a bunch of you, uh, a bunch of you came and offered. Some of you are car people. David Green's like, that's not even your car. <laughs> and some of you said, like, you need to pay better attention. And some of you pulled my man card online for not knowing how to change a tire. I felt like the only reason to share this is to make it clear that I know how to change a tire, just to be clear. Awesome. Well, listen, it's good to have everybody here. We are starting a brand new series today um, in the month of November. No November has become really one of my favorite months because we started several years ago kind of capturing this idea of no in November. And we started a series several years ago. We did a series called um, No Fear November, just tackling some of our anxieties and some of our fears. Then we did a No Doubt November. We did a No Big Deal November, and we tackled issues like cussing and drinking, things that seem like they're no big deal, but where do they fall in our spiritual journey? And today we're starting this series entitled No Excuse November. And we're just going to tackle some of the excuses that everybody has that sometimes hold us back in our spiritual journey that really keep us from moving forward and growing in our faith and being the people that God's called us to be. So I'm excited, man, to step into this series. And I just believe that God is going to do something really incredible in all of our lives. Anybody here ready for that, for God to speak something to your heart and change your life? We ought to show up each and every week. I want you to know something, that God does everything by his word. And one message, one word from God spoke to your heart can change you forever. Amen? And some of you know that's true. So I want you to open up, man, and allow God to say something to you and to change who we are and the direction we're going in life. So I have a, I have a saying, much like many of you in this room, I have a, a little catchphrase. It's mine. I say it probably more than I say anything else in life. And you don't, know what, you don't know it probably. Even if you hang out with me, you're not aware of what this phrase is because typically when I say it, I'm alone. Yes, I do speak to myself when I'm alone. We got anybody else that talks to themselves? Come on. I don't, not a lot. Like, I mean, I'm not, I don't border on, you know, needing medication, but it's just this one phrase. I say it a lot in life. I say it a lot through, uh, through my day. Anybody who might know that I say this phrase is my wife, and I don't say it to her, but I say it in her presence. And here's my phrase. Here's, here's something I say on a regular basis, often daily. What is he doing? What is she doing? What are they doing? Come on, you all know what I'm talking about. Like I look around at people who are making decisions and doing things, and I'm like, what in the world? And if I drop a world, what in the world are they doing? Like that's next level. And if I Christian cuss, it's on. What in the heck are they doing? Like it's on, and I'm somebody like, he said that from the pulpit. Come on, man, relax. <laughs> like, what are they doing? What is she doing? Why are they doing that? When I look at people driving down the road and making this, I'm like, what are they doing? When I look at parents, like mom's trying to grab a box of, you know, cocoa puffs off the top shelf and her kid's running crazy, opening up fruity pebbles across the aisle, what is she doing? Like I asked that question and it is absolutely, I'll be honest and I'm wrong. It's a rhetorical question. I'm not looking to engage and it's a judgment call. I'm looking at how you're living, what you're doing, and I don't agree with it. So I say to myself, what is she doing? 
What are they doing? Anybody else got a question like that as you... Like we, look at our, like we look at politicians, we look at the world around us, we ask the question, what are you doing? I just had uh, an encounter. Nobody needs to email me and give me your opinion. I know I should have handled it different. But I had a, this is probably one of the first times I actually asked a question to the person, and I just couldn't help it. I was driving up the road. I won't even tell you where I was at, just locally, but there's three lanes, and there's a left-hand lane, and it's a turn lane, and this guy was in the left-hand lane, and He's up ahead of me, and I'm in the center lane, and we're doing 65-ish miles an hour. And uh, I was like literally last second, this guy, because there's cars, stopped getting ready to turn left. And you can tell he's not paying attention. He whips his car over out of that lane. And I'm telling you, in the last second, he totally, man, he could have killed a lot of people for real. I was like, and I was just so, I was like, I, what is he doing? <laughs> and so because he had to slow down to get out of his lane, I passed him, and I looked over at him. Not one of those looks. I just want to see what he was doing. And sure enough, he's holding like he, it didn't even phase him. He's just kind of looking at his cell phone, like YouTube, and I don't know what he's doing. And so he picks up speed and passes me again, and he's still on his cell phone. And I just couldn't, I was like, what is he doing? And I thought I had to ask. And so he pulled over, and so I pulled over. And he, he, he came up to my car. I'm like, hey, man, what are you doing? He said, what are you talking about? I said, man, you almost killed some people back there. No, I didn't. I said, listen, man, I drove right by you. I said, I looked at you. You're right on your cell phone. And then you passed me again, and you were still on your cell phone. I told him, I said, I'm not your boss. I'm not an authority. I have no right to say anything to you other than I'm a concerned citizen because you could have killed me. And number two, I care about you because one day you're going to wake up on the other side of killing someone else. Put your phone down, brother. Ain't nobody texting you that that's important. Put your phone down. And he said, you're right. Don't applaud me because after I pulled away, I thought that could have went sideways. That could have went. That could have went a whole nother direction. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm glad he humbled himself and yielded and allowed me to drive away. <laughs> It'd be bad when your pastor's in prison and you got to come visit me. But what are you doing? Everybody shout that question. What are you doing? Like, that's a question. You may not voice it. You may not say it. Sometimes it's in your head. Sometimes it's in your heart. But here's the thing is sometimes that question is posed in our heart towards God. That sometimes as we look at what God is doing as opposed to what we think he should do or what God is not doing as opposed to what we think he should be doing or how he should be responding or how he should be handling the situation in our life, sometimes we feel that question arise or sometimes maybe like me, maybe you've asked it out loud like, God, what are you doing? Where are you at? And I just want to say this on the front end that if you're there, if you've been in that situation, that God is big enough to handle your questions, and you're not a bad person or a bad Christian for asking that question. But rather, here's what I want to say, you know, is as we ask that question, let's be honest, we're not asking, it's not like a prayer of clarity, like, God, will you show me what you're doing? Really, it's a judgment call on God, like we don't agree with his decision making. And where I want to go today in week one of No Excuse November is I just want us to ask this question, here it is, what would your life look like if you had absolute confidence in God? Like, how would your life change? How would my life change? How would things in our life change if we had absolute confidence in God? Now, let me qualify a couple things. When I say God, first of all, I mean, I believe that, that there is a God. And I believe that God is loving. 
and personal and cares about the details of our life. And number three, I believe that he is powerful and providential, which means God cares about every situation you and I are in. He knows about the days we're going through. He knows about the struggles we have, and he cares about us. He's numbered the hairs on our head. He stores our tears in his, in his bottle. That's what the word says. He not only cares about us, but God is powerful. There is no situation too big outside of his control. He is providential, which means he is sovereign over every detail of our lives, of our nation, of our country, of our world, of our time. God is in control, what would your life look like if you had absolute confidence in that kind of God? I mean, think about the possibilities. Think about as you struggle with the next season in your life, your career. Maybe some of you are in the place where you're trying to decide what you could do or should do. Maybe you're getting ready to graduate school and you're anxious. Like, what does the future look like? Imagine what would change and shift in your heart if you had absolute confidence in God. As you deal with money issues, as you deal with the anxiety and the frustration of raising kids, as you look at the next season of the politics in our nation, where are we going? Where are we going with immigrants? Where are we going in the economy? Where are we going in our personal life? Imagine all of the challenges that we face, not just challenges, but opportunities. As you think about things that you know that you want to do, businesses you want to open, things you want to start, imagine how your life would change if you and I had absolute confidence in God. Now, I don't mean that everything always works out the way we think it should, but what I mean is that no matter what we're going through and what we feel and what we see, like there's this peace in us and there's this joy in us that we know that God is in control, that if God hasn't worked it out yet, ultimately he's going to work it out for our good because that's what the word says. Come on, imagine our anxiety would disappear, our frustration, our stress. Imagine what would happen if you had absolute confidence in God. So let's be clear. When I talk about confidence, I mean this. I mean that ultimately God wants us to have faith. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to believe in him. What God, in fact, all the way through scripture, this is what God is trying to accomplish in every one of us in this room, every one of us online. What God is trying to accomplish in me is that God is trying to put in us an absolute confidence in who he is. In fact, if you go all the way back to the beginning of, of humanity, broken trust broke our relationship with God. Right, Adam and Eve, they looked at what was going on and they thought, man, God, you're holding back. I can't trust you. You're trying to keep something good from me. You're not really, I can't count on you. I can't trust you. And so a broken trust is what broke our relationship with God. And man, God has been working to reestablish our ability to trust him and have confidence in him. You go all the way through the Old Testament. God establishes and creates the nation of Israel. God establishes a people. And one of the reasons is as surrounding nations are looking at the nation of Israel, they're saying, wow, look how beneficial it is to serve God. What we find out is that God is their protector and God is their provider and God is the one who rescues them and God is the one who's in control. God is establishing that he can be trusted. You step into the New Testament and Jesus shows up, right? And one of the primary reasons Jesus comes is to reestablish trust in God. And that's why he says things like this, have faith in God. Comes along in another time in John 14, he says, it says, you believe in God, believe in me also. And what Jesus is doing and the things that he's teaching and the decisions that he's making and ultimately where he ends up on the cross is he's trying to build in you and I an absolute confidence in him. Because I know this, and if we're all honest in this room, sometimes we don't have absolute confidence. Often we waver, and sometimes our confidence is stronger than it is other days, and sometimes it's not there at all. And we ask the question because we just don't believe God is there. We don't believe he's working. We don't believe he's showing up. And God wants us to have it. So what would happen 
if we had absolute confidence in God. Because, again, it was broken confidence that broke our relationship. Jesus came to reestablish trust that would reestablish our relationship with him. Because think about it, trust is everything. In a relationship, trust is everything. If you don't have trust in a relationship, if you don't trust your employer, if you don't trust your employees, if you don't trust your spouse, if you don't trust your kids, I'm telling you, you have a relationship that's falling apart. But when you have trust, it just fixes everything. You're saying, I, I can depend on that person. I can trust that person. I think about my wife, right? If my wife is not where she says she's going to be at the time, like she says, hey, I'm going to be home at 8, and she doesn't get home at 8.30, like I don't immediately jump to an affair, I immediately jumped to an affair with shopping, but not with another person. We have this thing, this is a true story in our household. Oftentimes, especially on Sundays, we drive here separate, and sometimes we'll go to lunch together, and we'll come back, and I'll drop her off. And the assumption is, hey, we're all headed home. I'll see you home in five minutes. And almost every Sunday, I get home, and like two hours later, my wife is still not home. So I'll call her, babe, where are you at? Target? <laughs> Macy's? I mean, wherever she's at. But here's the thing is, I I trust she's okay. I trust she's making a good decision. I trust she's not cheating on me. Do you know why? Because I have a strong trust in my wife. And because I trust my wife, our relationship is strong. I'm the the primary guy who picks up our son from school every day. And when he gets out, a lot of times at 4 o'clock, he knows I'll be there at 4-ish. 4.30 at the latest. If I'm not there at 5, call somebody else. I'm probably not coming. No, really, he knows that dad's, he might be late, but dad hadn't forgot about me. Dad doesn't not care about me. Dad's not not coming. He knows that I love him. He can depend on me. He can count on me because we have a strong trust. We have a strong relationship. Are you all hearing me? God wants you and I to have a strong confidence in him that as we maneuver through even the challenges and difficulties, the highs and the lows of life, that no matter where we are, no matter how dark it is, no matter how hard it is, no matter how big the opportunity it is, we have a God that we can have a strong confidence in. Come on, somebody. What would your life look like? Imagine how it would change. Imagine how my life would shift if every day, every situation, we had a strong faith, belief, trust, and confidence in God. I want you to check this out. Story found in Matthew chapter 8. One of the reasons this is a, a particularly cool story, it not only goes the direction I want us to go today, but what you're going to find is this is one of one of a very few times that Jesus is amazed. Now think about it. What would it take to amaze Jesus? Like he's seen it all. Like he was there when creation was formed. He saw the quasars leap into existence. He saw black holes form. He, he not only saw it, he did it. He's the word who formed and fashioned and created everything. What would it take to amaze Jesus? Like a guy with like bowling pins and chains. Like no. Jesus has seen it everything, but yet there are two times in scriptures where he sees something, and the Bible says that he's amazed. So what is it that amazes somebody who's seen everything? Matthew chapter 8, you can uh, check this out on the Sky Bible, or you can open up your own copy. Matthew chapter 8 says this, Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside, and suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Come on, everybody read this. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And Jesus reached out and touched him. Come on, every voice. I am willing, he said, be healed. And in an instant, leprosy disappeared. I don't know where y'all have been this week. I'm impressed by this. Y'all got a golf clap. 
Like this guy, right? Here's a couple of things you need to take away from this. First of all, this guy is a leper, which means in the culture of that time, you were absolutely a social outcast. You weren't allowed people. Your family rejected you. Community rejected you. Friends rejected you. You weren't allowed around anybody. Not only were you considered unclean or an outcast, you were considered cursed by God. And so this leper who has nothing going, uh, going for him, he sees Jesus coming down the mountain and he runs. And contrary to what he should do, which is to stay far away from people, he runs to the presence of Jesus and he falls down. I'm just telling you, desperate people will do desperate things. Desperate people make noise. There's a guy in the Bible, blind Bartimaeus, who is blind. Jesus, he hears him coming. He starts shouting out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, man, everybody's trying to quiet him down. Culture will try to quiet your worship. And you need to not be steered by culture. You need to be steered by your thankfulness, your gratefulness, and your desperation to a God who will answer you. And so he doesn't care about the social norm. He throws it out the door, and he runs into the presence of Jesus, and he falls at his feet. And he says, here's what he says. This is so important. He says, Jesus, I know you can heal me. I'm just not sure you will. Like I've heard stories of all these people you're healing and there's lame people getting up and blind. Like I know you can. This is so big. This is so important you get this. He's saying, I have a confidence in your capability. I'm just not sure about your compassion. I know you can. I'm just not sure you will. And here's why. He's confident of his capability because he's heard all the stories of other people that Jesus have healed. But the reason I think the leper questions the compassion of Jesus is because he's a leper. He's not a good person. He's probably not a moral person. Because he can't, he's not been in church for years. He's not been reading his Bible. He's not been going to Bible study or small group. Like there's all these reasons. In fact, again, he's in his own mind. Like I'm cursed by God. And maybe some of you are here and you don't feel like you've been measuring up or you've not been doing enough good things because in American Christianity, here's the role. If you do good, God will be good. And if you've been bad, then expect God to be bad for you. And that is not the God of Scripture. God is good in spite of how good you are, and God is always faithful in spite of our faithlessness. Come on. God is consistent. But this leper, he doesn't know it yet, and so he falls down. He's like, one thing I know about you, like I have a strong confidence in your capability. I'm just not really sure. Are you, will you do it? Because, I mean, let's be honest, I don't measure up. I'm not good. Like I'm a dirty, no good Jew. I'm, I'm sick. I'm unclean. I'm cursed by God. Will you do something for me? And what you need to know, what I need to know, what I need to see today is this right here. Jesus says these words, I am willing. Come on, somebody. He makes it very clear that in spite of who you are, in spite of your stature in society, in spite of how you see yourself, in spite of your personal struggles, in spite of your failures and defeats and anxieties, God is willing to do something in our lives. And one of the most beautiful things about this story is is the way Jesus heals them. See, Jesus, when you read the gospels, he heals people all different kinds of ways. My personal favorite is when he spits on somebody. That's why preachers spit. Y'all in the back row are missing all the miraculous stuff up here. The Lord is moving on the first two rows. Jesus, like there's one guy he spits on and like eyes grow in his eye sockets. Kind of a cool miracle. Sometimes he speaks a word to somebody. He does it all different ways. But this guy, the Bible says that Jesus touches. He don't have to touch him. Why does he touch him? Because Jesus wants to know that my compassion, my compassion for you, exceeds far greater than you could ever even hope it would be. See, sometimes we get so desperate in life, we think, God, are you there? Do you care? And what Jesus is displaying in this chapter is he cares about you.
And he's compassionate about your struggle and your issues and your challenges. And no matter what we've done to even put ourselves in a bad situation, like sometimes we think we put ourselves outside of grace and if we can get back there, God will meet us there. No, listen, you can walk a thousand steps away from Jesus. And the Bible says he is as close as the call of his name, which means all you got to do is turn around, take one step, and he is there. God is good. God is capable. And God is compassionate. The story keeps going. Matthew chapter 8, there's another guy who shows up on the scene. It says this, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, this is right after the leper. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. Watch this. Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. Now stop. A couple things we need to know about this guy. Number one, uh, this translation says he's a Roman officer. Most translations say he's a centurion couple things. Number one, this means that he's, he works for the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire at this point in history is responsible for oppressing the Jewish nation. So Jews hate the Romans. Jews despise the Romans. The Romans are taxing the Jews. They're limiting their worship. They're doing everything they can to oppress them. Number two, this guy is not Jewish, which means he probably worships hundreds of false gods in Greek mythology instead of worshiping the one true God. So at this point, when he shows up and wants Jesus to heal him, I believe with all of my heart, the disciples are like, good, I'm glad you're sick. I hope your servant gets sick. I hope you get, I hope you get sick. I hope your family gets sick. Jesus, in fact, make them double sick because that's how religious people are. When people don't live up to our standards, we want bad for them, and Jesus always wants good for everybody all the time. That's a way better place for y'all to clap. See, we, all, we think if people would just live to my level, God would be good to them. Again, it's not how good you are. It's how good God is. That's why we can have a strong confidence in God. And so this Roman centurion shows up. He has no reason. In fact, he has no reason to even approach Jesus other than he's got a strong confidence. He's heard the stories of not just what Jesus can do, but why Jesus will do it. See, the leper knew that he had a strong capability but didn't have a compassion. Now he knows that not only is Jesus capable, he's compassionate towards the needs of people. So he comes and says, hey, I'm not even coming on my behalf. I'm coming on behalf of my servant. Will you come and will you heal him? And so nobody misses it because if you're in a place where you're crying out to God, I want you to hear this is Jesus' response to you. Matthew chapter 8, verse 7, every voice in this house, everybody online, read it. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Jesus, I want you to know I'll come. If you call on me, if you trust in me, if you depend on me, if you have a strong confidence in me, I may not do what you want, when you think I should do it, or how you think I should do it, but I want you to know I won't abandon you. You can trust me. You can count on me. You can have a strong confidence in me because there's no situation too big, no difficulty too overwhelming for me, and I care about you. I love you. I'm compassionate towards who you are, where you are, and your brokenness. That's why Jesus came is to reconnect with disconnected people by us putting our trust in who he is and what he's done. And so he says this, this is big, Matthew 8, verse 8, he says, but the officer said, watch this, Jesus said, hey, I'll come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. Probably has some dirty dishes out, I don't know, just an assumption. We know how it is, right? When people come to your house, anybody else do this? You get in frantic mode and start hiding stuff, putting clothes in the dishwasher, like wherever you can hide it out of way. Anybody else do, anybody else do this? Now, I know a lot of people have hardwood floors. We have hardwood floors. Anybody ever push a sweeper on your carpet without plugging it in just to make tracks? Yeah, I've never done that either. I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> people are coming over. And so the guy's like, hey, um, Jesus, listen, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. I know I asked you to come heal him, but I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. This is so big. Just say the word. 
from where you are, and my servant will be healed. He says, I know this, watch, I know this because I'm under authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, come, and they come, or if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. What this Roman centurion is saying, I understand something about myself. I understand authority, that I can tell people what to do, and because of the authority I have, they listen to me. The 100 men underneath my watch and underneath my rule, they obey what I tell them to do. And because I understand authority, he says, I, fi I figured something out watching you. You have authority too. When you tell sickness to go, it goes. When you tell a storm to cease and be still, it does. The same way I have authority over people, you have authority over everything. He said, I figured something out about you. You have authority over every circumstance in life. And so this is so important that you see this because up until this point, Jesus has only been healing people in his close proximity. Multitudes would come to him and he would heal them. But there were always people in his close proximity. But this Roman centurion, heathen, ungodly, didn't go to church, didn't know the Hebrew scriptures, didn't know anything. All he knew is that he heard stories that Jesus was capable and compassionate. And he gets to him, and for the first time, he says, you don't even, I, my servant doesn't even have to be close to you. I have so much confidence in your power and your compassion. All you got to do is speak a word. And this is so big. Watch this. Matthew 8, verse 10. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. You know what amazes Jesus? When people have strong confidence in who he is. Jesus, you got this. Jesus like, wow. I've seen stars form in the universe. I'm not impressed by that. I'm impressed by strong confidence in me. I'm impressed by people who trust me. I'm impressed by people who believe I am who I said I am and I'll do what I said I'll do. And he looks at this guy and watch this. He turns around to those who are following him, which, by the way, are all the Jewish people. This guy's non-Jewish and specifically his disciples. And he says this, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel, which is the very generous, nice way of saying, where's your faith like that? Y'all been following me and listening to me and watching me and you don't even have the faith of this heathen Roman non-Jew, and he's got it figured out. He's saying, man, I'm amazed by this kind of faith. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home because you believe it has happened. And the young servant was healed at the same hour. What would your life look like if you and I had a strong faith, trust, and confidence in God? A couple of things I want you to write down. Number one is that faith, faith believes something. When I talk about having a strong confidence or a strong faith, everybody in this room, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, everybody here believes something. You can be an atheist. You believe something. You believe something about God. You believe he doesn't exist. And that's okay if that's where you're at. You might be an agnostic and you believe maybe there's something out there. You don't know what it is. You can't explain it. It's surely not personal. It's surely not involved in this world. But I'm telling you, faith believes something. And I said it on the front end. I'm talking about faith that believes that God is, that God is loving and personal and involved in our life, and that God is powerful and providential. He's bigger than anything we're going through. Come on, if you have that kind of faith, your faith, God wants your faith to believe something. And faith is never something that's forced upon you. Faith is a choice. If you're here saying, I wish I had faith, then choose to have faith. Because those people, hear me, the leper that went, do you know why he went to Jesus? Because he believed. Come on, everybody say he believed. He believed that Jesus could heal. That's why he went. Faith believes something. The Roman centurion believed that Jesus could heal his servant. If he didn't believe, he wouldn't have went. The reason he went is because he believed. Faith believes something. What is it that you believe about God? Because what God wants 
and has been working and ultimately culminated through his son, Jesus, is that you and I can have a strong faith that Jesus is capable and he is compassionate towards every situation in our life. Number two, faith doesn't just believe something. Faith says something. Faith says something. I can tell you what you believe based on what's coming out of your mouth. Isn't that true? Man, this is never going to work out. I'm never going to get that job. This is never, man, our mar my marriage is failing for sure. My dad was sick. My grandfather was sick. My dad was sick. I'm going to get sick too. It just runs in our family. This is never going to work out. This is going to fail. I'm never going to get free of this addiction. Well, either you believe your addiction is stronger than you, or you believe God's stronger than your addiction. Either you believe Jesus can heal everything or Jesus can't heal your marriage. I just choose to believe. And Jesus made, said this. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What Jesus is saying is, I know what's really in your heart by what comes out of your mouth. And so what God wants us to do is say not what we see and not how we feel, but what he said. God wants us to say what he said. That's why the scripture is like this. Let the weak say I'm strong. Well, that's foolish. I feel weak. No, no. I feel weak, but I'm not in this thing alone. God is in me, with me, and through me, and he promised his strength to me. Come on, somebody. That way I can be strong. And so God promises us peace, and God promises to be our provider. So me providing for my family is not up to me how smart I am, how many opportunities I can come up with. God is my provider. That's why David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. I believe God's my provider. So I'm not just going to say what I feel, and I'm not just going to say what I see happening in culture. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's going to fall apart. I hope Trump gets in. I hope Trump gets booted out. I hope it's Democrat. I hope it's a blue wave. I hope it's a red wave. I hope it's a... Gulf Shores wave, baby. Give me that kind of wave. <laughs> like some of you are banking, I just hope the political temperature goes the direction I hope. I hope the environment changes. Listen, it's not up to any of that. It is up to the God who is sovereign and providential and powerful. I trust him with it all. And so some of you are biting your nails, and I'm like, go vote. I think you should vote. I think you have a civic duty in this country. People die for you to have the right to vote. You should go vote. But I'm just telling you, regardless of who's in the office, my confidence is not who gets elected or who gets booted. Our confidence, my strong confidence and your strong confidence needs to be in a God who's demonstrated clearly and repeatedly that he is capable and that he is compassionate. Come on. Has anybody here got a personal story? Come on. just make, If you got a personal story that you've seen and witnessed firsthand, God's capability and or compassion in your life, make some noise. So, so part of our spiritual journey, and this is really important, I'm not saying that we don't sometimes feel things and sometimes like I don't say, because sometimes I say things that are doubtful and discouraging, but I'm saying you can choose to speak what you want to speak. And when you say what God says, that's how you access who God is and what God has. You know how you get saved? If you're here and you've given your life to Jesus, you know how you got from being unsaved to saved, from darkness to light? Because faith says something. Because let's be honest, before I got saved, I thought I was a pretty good guy. Anybody else remember that? Someone says, you're a sinner. I'm like, no, I'm not. I mean, I've sinned a couple times, but I'm not a sinner. I mean, I've sinned about 49% of the time in my life, but 51%, I'm pretty good, right? When we say we're good, I'm saying I'm better. I may not be as good as some, but I'm better than most. Some of you in this room, that's what you believe about yourself. I mean, I'm not perfect. People would say it really this way. You know, I'm no Mother Teresa, but I'm no Hitler either. And somehow you, we find ourselves in this comfortable morality. And you'll never get saved believing that about yourself. Because the Bible says that we're all sinners and we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And what do you believe about Jesus? Well, I mean, I believe he's a good teacher. 
I believe maybe he's exist, he existed. I'm not sure. If he was here, he was a prophet at best. You'll never get saved that way. The Bible says that if you'll confess, here it is, Romans 10, 9, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, say it with me, you will be saved. So I don't say how I feel. I feel like a good person, but Jesus said that my best, my best on my best day is filthiness compared to how holy and how perfect he is. So when I confess I'm a sinner and I don't confess he's a good teacher, but I confess he's a savior, when that happens, you know what happens? When I say what God said about me and my situation, I become a child of God. Come on, somebody. That's how you access who God is. So faith believes something. Faith says something. And number three, faith does something. This, 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 uh, this leper, right, he didn't just believe something about Jesus, but he came and he said it. He said, I believe you're able, right? That's what came out of his mouth. He didn't say, you'll never heal me because I'm a no good rotten leper. He said, I believe you're able. This, this Roman centurion, he came, and what did he do? He said what he believed. I know you. all you got to do is just, you, just speak the word. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed in his house. You don't even have to come to my home. And when he said that, Jesus was astounded and amazed at his faith. And in that very hour, his servant was healed. And faith does something. These guys came to Jesus because they believed. I can show you what you believe based on how you live. And if we're not living what we believe, we have the opportunity to align our actions with our faith. James chapter 2, verse 18 says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. See, James is not saying that we get saved by being a good person. He's saying that if you are a saved person, belief, belief is the cause of salvation, but good works is the effects of salvation. If if you love Jesus and you've given your life to him, your life will change. Come on, somebody. I'm not saying everybody's going to be perfect here tomorrow, but we're going to be different and we're going to be growing. We're going to be graduating into our faith. We're going to stop saying things that we used to say and start saying, speaking love and speaking, declaring different things. We're going to start living different. We're going to start treating people different. Come on, if you're the same person, but you just got faith in your heart, James is saying, I would question that faith because faith that can save you is faith that can change you. Amen. And so he's saying, listen, like start walking this out, which again, that means faith does something faith does something see I don't as a person as a pastor as a Christian as a believer I don't do anything any of the things I do trying to please God God loves me already he demonstrated that on the cross my actions are not a please it's a thank you not will you love me but I know you do love me so God every time I serve God every time I give every time I try to say something or do something acts of kindness generosity it's to say back to God, God, I love you too. You gave it all to me. Lord, it's all yours. Faith. Believe something. And faith says something. And faith does something. And so a lot of us in this room, if we're honest, if we look at the circumstances in our life, we would all say, I have an excuse not to believe. Because if God, then this. If God was good, I wouldn't be going through this. If God was faithful, this wouldn't be happening in my life. And God says, you need to flip that around and say, in spite of what you're going through, we need to make a declaration and we need to believe and have a strong confidence that God is good, God is working, God is in control, God cares about every detail in our lives. It's a choice. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says this, that God has dealt each one a measure of faith. So if you're here and say, man, I wish I had strong faith. Let's just start where Scripture starts. You have faith. You came onto this planet. Every heart 
God gave you a measure of faith. The issue is this right here. Faith must be guarded and guided to be strong. You got to guard your faith, man. There's stuff coming against us every day, coming against our faith. Sometimes our own doubts wrestles and diminishes our faith. You say, well, how do I, how do I strengthen it, man? It's by saying what God said. God told Joshua when he was going in the land, like, listen, don't even talk going around the walls of Jericho because if you'll talk, you say, man, them walls are too big. Those walls are never coming down. We're winding around these walls. Don't even make sense. He said, just shut up. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say nothing at all. God's bigger than these walls. God's bigger than these giants. God's bigger than my struggle. God's bigger than my storm. God's bigger than my anxiety. God's bigger than my addiction. God's greater than the brokenness in my marriage. God's able to heal my kids. God's able to rescue me. God's my provider. God's my hope. God's my joy. God's my peace. God's, my, God's in control. Come on, somebody. What would happen if we walked out of this room today and we had a strong confidence in God? I'm not even saying anything in your life would change. But I'm telling you, your heart would radically change. But what if, through that kind of strong confidence in God, God started shifting things in our life? See, the final declaration of Jesus was his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. It was the, these two huge exclamation points. How do you know Jesus cares about you? Because he died for you. A greater act of compassion, greater than any other act of compassion. But yet, this leper, man, he said, I, I'm not sure you're compassionate. Jesus said, I am. The Roman centurion, he made it clear, I am. Like we're on the other side of the cross. Is Jesus compassionate towards me? Yes, he laid down his life for us. Is Jesus capable? Is the situation in your life greater than death? Because Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave. Three days after his death, he walked out of a tomb to make it, make it very clear. I'm greater than any struggle you'll ever face. I'm greater than any sin you'll ever experience. I'm greater than any heartbreak you'll ever go through. So have faith. Put all your trust in him. Put all your trust in him. Put all your eggs in the Jesus basket. What would happen if we had a strong confidence in God? If you're here and you say, Pastor Steve, I, I would like that. I want to have a strong confidence. I'm going to be the first one to raise my hand. How many people here say, I want a strong confidence in God? Father, all over this room, I pray for all of us, God, including myself. God, there's times, if I'm honest, sometimes it wavers. Sometimes I express things out of my mouth that are contrary to who you are. But Father, I pray in Jesus' name that God, you'll help us, Lord, to have that strong confidence, to look at who you are and to look at what you've done, ultimately to see the cross of Calvary and to God to see an empty tomb. As your declaration, as your exclamation point to us that you do care, you are compassionate and you are able. And so Lord, help us to guide our faith away from all of the things in this world that we've put our hope in. And God, put our ultimate hope and trust in you to know no matter what situation we're going through, that God, you're well able. In Jesus' mighty name, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for one more minute, listen, the best decision you can make is to believe that Jesus loves you. And he died on the cross for you. And you say, why would he do that? Because our sin is what disconnects us from God. 
It's what breaks our relationship. And there's nothing we can do to fix it. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough good deeds. There's not a scale in heaven. If you can just do enough good deeds, outweigh your bad deeds, everything will work out. The Bible says we're separated from a God who loves us, but Jesus came to reestablish that connection. He died on the cross to forgive you and me of our sins. And if we'll put our trust in him, if we'll ask him to forgive us, the Bible says in that moment when you do that, when you put your faith, when you put your full confidence that you are a sinner in need of being rescued and he's the savior to come rescue you. The Bible says in that moment, you're forgiven and you become a child of God. And so all across this room, if you're here and you've never said, Jesus, rescue me, save me, forgive me. If you're here and you've never put your trust in Jesus, you can leave today with the greatest confidence you'll ever have. And so if you're here and today you want to give your life to Jesus, you want to say yes to his grace, you want to say yes to his love for you, if that's you, I want you to lift a hand real high, I'm going to pray for you. Say, Pastor Steve, man, today I want to give my life to Jesus. Today I want to put my hope and my trust in him as my Savior. Come on, all across this room, come on, put a hand up real high and say, that's me, Pastor Steve, pray for me. Just put your hand up, leave it up for one second. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. 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 I'm going to pray. Thank you, sweetheart. My right, I see you. I'm going to just whisper this prayer, and you can pray your own way. Man, God will hear you. You can follow me or pray your own words. Let's just pray this and just believe God is about to change your heart and your life forever because of your confidence in Him. Lord, we come in the name of Jesus. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins and mistakes and shortcomings. I believe that you came and you lived a perfect life and you died a sacrificial death for me. And three days later, you rose from the grave to give me life. So I put all my hope in you as my savior. I believe you died for me. Give me the strength to live for you. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees said amen. Can we honor the Lord today? Come on.